donuts and bagels at 8.50. Obviously, we're Methodists. So, but anyway, uh, donuts and bagels at 8.15. Sunday school starts at 8.30 on the 12th. And then the service will start at 9.30 instead of 9. And that runs till probably the end of school. So that's going on as well. Uh, the other thing I wanted to remind you of, and we started this when? Last week? Week before? Last week. The, the, the prayer cards. That, that We've done these in the past, but we're going back to this again to kind of streamline the, the, the prayer process, for lack of a better term. But if, you would, if you've got prayer requests, please fill those out, and those the ushers will pick those up during the first. Yeah. Just before the hymn. Before the hymn. Okay. All right. So, so if you've got prayer requests, um, get jot get jot them down right now, and we'll be ready to go. Okay. Did I miss anything? Are there other announcements that need to be shared? I got a couple of them. One okay. Getting, couple? Uh, just a couple. That's all. Oh, going into the theme of Ted and food, um, we had the company or church picnic yesterday. It went very well. We had over forty people and a ton of food, and just thanks to everybody that was there and, and fed me and all that good stuff. Also, um, we had a generous donation from Doris Pierce and Kay Henchman in honor of Jim to get the steeple lights fixed uh, on the church. So in the near future, you're going to see the steeple lit up again. All right. Good show. Thank you. How are we all this morning? Anybody a little tired today after all the activities yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I see some nods. Well, we'll try to liven it up here a little bit so we can get awake. All right. Uh, we have called worship this morning. It's responsive, and you should see the words up there on the screen. Welcome to the house of God's love. Is this the right time? Is God's love available now? God's love is always here, always ready. God's love has been around since the beginning, and it will be here after the ending. We're ready to live in God's love. Me too. Off we go. Okay. And will you please rise and body your spirit for our light of Christ? It's from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And now we please join me in our opening prayer. God, you are our prayer. This alone is cause for celebration.
peace. The love of God surrounds us, and we rejoice in that love. Let us greet one another in that love, in that hope, and in that abiding faith. All right, time for prayer and praise time. I didn't get any praises this morning on these cards. Anybody got any praises to share? Yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, yesterday was a wonderful day in the Lord. Um, we not only celebrated Sandy Taylor's life, but we saw many people. We were together there, and then again, we had an opportunity to be together with, uh, with the picnic. So that was, that was a wonderful day. Wonderful. Any others? No. To God who welcomes all in love. Let us pray for the good of the church and the concerns of those in need. So this morning, we'll begin lifting that praise that Linda mentioned today that, that we were able to have two wonderful events yesterday where there was remembrance and fellowship and love shared between all the people who were there. We had an opportunity to visit with people we haven't seen in a long time. And, and that's just a glorious, glorious thing especially in the waning days of summer when all we have to look forward to is cold. So I was very happy about that, that we got to spend some time together. And Lord, we thank you for the beautiful day. Couldn't have been a more lovely, lovely day of weather, and it was just perfect. And now I'd like to lift in prayer, Lord, um, Melanie Head, who's the mother of Callie Katowski, she is in um, UH Hospital. She had a stroke and needs our prayers. So we will definitely, Lord, lift that to you. Be with that family and be with her as she recovers and, and hopefully you will be her ultimate healer and she will come through well. Prayers for Donna Bailey. We haven't seen Donna in a while and I understand she had a little fall so we want to say prayers for her and for, for pain relief and for fear and she's afraid Lord be with her and calm fears and, and keep her going forward and, and not getting stuck in those, in those negative feelings lift her spirits and, and be with her and finally for Artie Ow, I think it says lost a leg and arm in a motorcycle accident is that right that I get that yeah. And, and um, Lord, that's just almost too much to think about to bear. So please be with him and help him to become whole, even if he cannot be whole in body, have him be whole in spirit, so that he can get along in his life as he goes forward. And for Ron and Kathy Lance, for Kathy's recovery, and for Ron's running around and taking care of everything at home, Kathy, just be with them and, and help them to get through this very difficult time. And they have a lot of cares, so just be with them and, and be with us and help us to help them. God of every land and nation, you have created all people, and you dwell among us in Jesus Christ. Listen to the cries of those who pray for you, to you, and grant that as we proclaim the greatness of your name, all people will know the power of love at work in the world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, may we say the prayer that 
our Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, saying, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
at Stetzer writes in Christians in the Age of Outrage, we understand the power of our own desires and therefore long to be the objects of the desires of another. All the components of love, dignity, respect, affirmation, encouragement, service, are magnetic, even if the sin and brokenness of this world distort how we interpret them. I think that's true. The problem, of course, for Christians is how do we learn to love in a world where people don't love the things of God? That's the hard part. We have to develop a godly lens for viewing the world. And we have to develop, let's call it a captivating love for the lost that feels genuine, that is genuine and real. And we have to remember that there are many people in the world today who do not know God and have never experienced that kind of love in their own lives. In 1 John 4, 7 to 12, it kind of lays this out and it gives us our marching orders regarding that kind of love. This from the NLT version reads, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending us his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. I love those verses. They're really, they're really beautiful. And they get at it. It's clear that love is the defining character of God and of those who claim to love God. And this love is not only for the people already in the church, because verse 10, this real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This tells us that God loves us before we loved him. He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins so we could love him in that way. Jesus died on the cross loving those who had rejected him. If God loved us that much, then surely he needs for us to love one another this way. And by loving in this way, people who don't know God can look at us the way we love and actually see God in us. In other words, John tells us that Christians will be known by their love. We will be defined by it in a world that craves well, part of the pushback against the Christian notion of fulfilling love is built into the 
some would call offensive nature of the gospel itself. As Christians, we recognize that only the gospel can satisfy our heart's desire. And so what is offensive to unbelievers about the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, because we live in a broken world, ruled by sin, Jesus calls us to repent and believe. The world rebels against that message because, as Stetzer writes, the world around us cannot stomach that A, there is something inherently wrong, sin, and B, there is an exclusive solution, belief in Jesus as Savior. So it may be true that the gospel message itself may cause offense. However, that's not the point I'm trying to get at and debate today. Sometimes unbelievers don't hear the good news of God's redeeming love because of Christian hypocrisy. Too often, we contradict our own witness. The offensiveness of the gospel does not give Christians the right to act in unloving and callous ways toward other people. It does not give us license to be offensive. When we react to push back against the gospel with hostility, we damage our own witness by slinging out our own baggage, which can include our cultural biases, our racial animosities, our personal insecurities, and simple spiritual immaturity. And we throw all this out on the people we're trying to give the message to. In our current age of outrage, many people, Christian or not, are already primed by social media and our fraught political discourse for a negative and probably over-the-top <laughs> response to uh, any perceived offenses that come our way. I read an article yesterday by Peter Weiner in The Atlantic in which he was trying to explain the all-or-nothing, take-no-prisoners animosity of our current social discourse, and this is what he wrote. The psychologist Daniel Goleman refers to amygdala hijack an intense emotional reaction that's dramatically disproportionate to the situation. When a person has been triggered, their emotions take over and they see the world through a distorted lens. That's up for a second. The whole world seems to be looking through that distorted lens. And it's not only distorted, it's pretty warped. And this looking through this distorted and warped lens includes many Christians, unfortunately. As Stetzer says, in essence, we wrap the gospel in our offensive packaging and then decry our neighbors when they're less than enthusiastic about Jesus and his church. Yeah, sometimes that is true. According to a Lifeway research poll, 79% of people agree somewhat or strongly that Christianity today is more about organized religion than loving God and loving people. Now, my first thought about the statistics is that you, you can tell that nearly 8 out of 10 people who think that Christianity is more about organized religion are unchurched because if you've been in the church recently, it's evident we're certainly not very organized. But, all joking aside, 
This is serious condemnation of our Christian witness. And the second question in the poll was even worse. 44% somewhat or strongly agree with the statement, Christians get on my nerves. If you've been in the church long enough, at least 44% of Christians will at some point get on your nerves. But certainly we shouldn't be getting on the nerves of those outside the church that we're trying to win with our love. If people are willing to answer that way on a survey, we probably need to take notice and ask ourselves what we need to do differently. Yes, the gospel message itself may be offensive to a world full of sin, but we, as Christians, should be living our lives in such a way that the love of God shines through and makes the truth of the gospel evident. That makes the love of God irresistible. <coughs> that we're all annoyed. Stetzer put it even more pointedly. He says, why? If the gospel of Jesus is so amazing, and if Christians are called to love and serve, did a majority of Americans complain that the organized church was less interested in love than in ritual, and that Christians are annoying, if not unloving? Mm. All I can answer to that is ouch. About a decade ago, I may have told you this story at some point in my time here, I can't really remember, but it bears telling again because it's, it's uh, really prescient to this point. About a decade ago, before I became a pastor, I went to a music festival on the riverfront in Memphis. The festival grounds were fenced, so there was a long line to get in through the very narrow gate where they were checking tickets and IDs. And um, there were, just outside the gate, there were some members of a local evangelical congregation who were picketing and protesting the festival. They were holding all kinds of hand-painted signs. Please don't be annoyed. I'm just repeating what they said. Almost will go to hell, and rock music is sin. You get the idea. Anyway, they all had bullhorns and were antagonizing and yelling at the festival goers. And going in, I just ignored them and went into this. And it was a lot of fun. There were multiple stages and tents featuring different musical genres, and once you were inside the gates, you could attend any venue or concert stage you wanted to and see whoever you wanted to. In fact, I was having problems deciding which one to go to because different stages had different people that I wanted to see, and they were at the same time. So I was back and forth across that place. It was really fun. And I met some really nice people from Memphis. I had a great time. There were probably about 100 different musical acts that evening. Now, if you know anything about Memphis in May, it is monsoon season in Memphis in May. At about 7 o'clock p.m., the sky over the Mississippi opened up and buckets of water poured from the sky. Not just a little rain, buckets, like you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, buckets of water. And people in the know were wearing rubber boots. I was from Ohio. I was not in the know. So soon, the grassy park had turned into a mud pit. By 11 p.m., I was wet to the skin, getting cold, and was muddy up to my ankles. 
had to wait for my sister, who was working at the promo booth for the record store where she managed. But finally she was done and we headed for the gate. Now the exit side on the inside of the fence was just as long as the entrance line on the outside of the fence had been earlier. So worse, for the last hundred feet of the line before you reached the gate, you had a fence on both sides of you. So it was a space about this wide, just about wide enough for one person to comfortably walk through. Basically, I felt a lot like a rat in a maze waiting there. And the church group who had been there when we arrived was still there, but their numbers had grown from only about 20 or so to more than 75 or 100. And in fact, that was the holdup in getting out. They were harassing people as they were trying to leave the narrow gate, and people had, had called the police, and the police had been trying to keep the protesters and the festival goers apart. The protesters had a permit from the city to be there, so the police were only watching, pretty much, not really doing anything, just making sure that no violence broke out. And the church people were running up and down the outside of the fence, where we were all lined up between the fences to get out and screaming horrible things at us through their megaphones at close range. And mostly I remember a lot of mentions of all the reasons that I and all the other people in the line were going to hell. Uh, there were lots of reasons that we were all apparently going to hell and they were making sure we knew every single one of them. And honestly, they scared me. And I could feel the agitation of the people around me, many of whom had been drinking. It was a very volatile situation. Mostly people were trying to ignore the horrible behavior of the protesters, and I give them credit for that. But it was still a little bit like running a gauntlet. I was tired muddy, cold and wet, just wanted to get in my warm car, which was parked a long walk plus a trolley ride away. I was getting quite irritated and agitated, and when we finally exited the gate and started to cross the street, one of the protesters got in my face with a bullhorn and shouted, you're a sinner, repent or go to hell, with the megaphone this far from my head. Well, I got those emotions that I had been penning up for all that time came bursting out. This person never asked me if I was a Christian or not, but apparently attending a music festival meant that I was not, at least in this man's eyes. The bullhorn hurt my ears, and I just felt that rage boiling up. And I leaned forward toward the guy, and I pointed at him, and I said it. I screamed it, really as loudly as I could. People like you give Christianity a bad name. And the festival goers near me cheered and clapped. I could have sunk into the pavement. Let me first say, I am not proud of my actions towards this young man. He was not showing Christian love at that moment, but neither was I. I'd like to wrap myself in the cloak of righteous anger and say that my response was justified. But nothing was solved by my screaming at him. Screaming at him in anger the same way he'd screamed at me. I may have had a point, for sure, but 
perhaps the most loving thing I might have done at that moment was walk away. I let my frustration and anger color my response in an extremely unflattering way. I did nothing to help improve the Christian brand, in other words. That being said, I doubt very seriously that the church group shenanigans caused anyone in the crowd to repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the bottom line. The character and conduct of the messenger matters. Not only words, but actions count. In fact, I would suggest that actions matter more. If we do not love the lost, we demonstrate that we have missed the whole point of the gospel. In our broken world, we need love. We need a lot of other things, too. But we need love, most of all. We need the gospel salve for our pain and our brokenness and our anger. And that is the meaning of the good news, after all. It's the hope of the cure for a spiritually dead world. And as Stetzer says, nowhere is there love that overcomes the barriers of death Sin, captivity, separation, fear, alienation, and purposelessness, except the cross. There is hope for racial reconciliation, for peace between the sexes, for ethnic harmony, and for healing when we rally around a common identity in Christ. Love him as our redeemer and serve his kingdom. So, how do we respond and engage people in Christian love? That's the question here. Well, there's three qualities that Christians can display that will help us to love others well. The first quality is empathy. Being a Christian does not mean that we are perfect. The world may be afflicted with sin, but so are we, though our sins might be different. We all struggle with brokenness, every single one. Like my night in Memphis, we all fall short sometimes, even in the face of another wrongdoing. To emphasize, or to empathize, sorry, means that we can understand someone else's trouble and we're willing to walk alongside them through the difficulty. We have a tendency as humans to see the faults of others and be repelled or disgusted by them. We judge the sins of others and immediately determine that they are unworthy of our care. But as Jesus shared in Matthew 7, 3-5, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. We recognize, when we recognize, when we recognize other struggles through the lens of our own shortcomings, we're able to better understand and be of help to them. When we accept others, warts and all, we are loving as Jesus loved. The second quality is humility. What does it mean to be humble? Lord, 
it's hard to be humble when I'm perfect in every way. Remember that song? Bad message, but a funny song. It means that we do not see ourselves as better than others. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3 to 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We are to serve others as Jesus served and to put our need, their needs, ahead of our own whenever that is possible. On the night that Jesus was taken by the Roman soldiers, he had a meal with his disciples. And then as they arrived, Jesus donned a towel, kneeled down, and washed his disciples' feet. Now, in that time, to wash the feet of another was a demeaning act. It was the job of a slave to wash the feet of others, not of the Messiah. Yet Jesus told his disciples to imitate his actions. I'm sure they were highly confused. Perhaps this seems strange in our world, too, because our, our world so values status and power. Serving others in humility seems to be foreign to us. However, our faith calls us to follow in the ways of Jesus. It is better, I think, to be known as people of the towel than people of the pitchfork. People of the pitchfork respond aggressively to their own needs, People love the towel, enduring humble ministry without expectation or exception. Third quality is image bearing. Now that's a different one, so let me explain image bearing. We've all heard that we are made in the image of God, correct? But what exactly does that mean? In the beginning of this message, I talked about love being the defining character of God. If this is so, then we are also capable of the kind of love that flows from God through the Holy Spirit into and through us. Do you remember the story in the Gospel of Luke about poor Zacchaeus, short little Zacchaeus, the tax collector? In that story, Zacchaeus is despised by the people of his community for being complicit in the extortion of exorbitant taxes from the Jewish people and profiting from it himself. He was very wealthy. Zacchaeus, who is short in stature, has to climb a sycamore tree and look over the crowd to see what's going on when Jesus comes through town. Now Jesus, he sees Zacchaeus up there in that sycamore tree. Hey, Zacchaeus! You need to come down, because I need to spend the day at your house. Zacchaeus goes, uh, 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 okay, Lord. Comes down the tree. This is a great honor that Jesus has bestowed upon Zacchaeus. And Jesus was able to see past all the despised tax collector's worldly baggage to see the image of God beneath. As Stetzer says, while others recoil, Jesus engages, and in doing so, radically transforms Zacchaeus. Um, if you remember how this affected Zacchaeus, he promised to give half of his many possessions to the poor and to pay back anyone he had cheated four times as much. 
We're constantly bombarded with accusations about our failures and our lack of worth. And we feel disqualified from the world's love. But God's image-bearing love endures because it is who we are. <laughs> it's who we are. It's how we're made underneath the brokenness of this earthly life. Jesus sees that image beneath the crusty surface, and he rubs away the filth that hides our true identity as children of God.
it is our offering celebration. And as you probably remember, there are, will be plates at the exits if you haven't already dropped your offering in there. If you brought it today, you are welcome to mail that to the church, drop it off during office hours, or to use our convenient online giving option. But however you choose to give, know that it is much appreciated by the church. Let us pray. <coughs> Gracious and loving God, receive our gifts of self and substance. They have belonged to you since our very beginning. We give them freely, joyfully, prayerfully. With them we praise you. With them we celebrate the great power that is love. A love that abides always. A love that radically transforms. And a love that makes us whole. <coughs> Now, please rise as you are able for the singing of the doxology
Go forth celebrating faith. Go forth celebrating hope. Go forth celebrating love. Go forth to be the transformed people that God calls us to be. Go forth to transform the world in times of prosperity, but most especially in times of disbelief, hostility, fear, and rejection. Go forth with the knowledge that you are always surrounded by the presence of our steadfast, loving God, our rock, and our redeemer.